0: Chad for doing that song, I asked Chad requested that song and how many how many how many had sang that song before all of you over forties maybe I asked the worship team we have a young worship team, and uh, you know Jamie thought she might have heard she's sort of in that border range, Jamie, but the others did hadn't heard of it before, but it speaks to the uh, a, a profound truth doesn't it that God is our provider, Jehovah, Jireh. I, I found this to be so true, so very true in my life, especially in times when my faith is being tested. If you remember a couple weeks ago, I shared with you the, my, my greatest, my personal greatest test of, of faith, when I had to release my, my children to the Lord, sending them over 300 miles away to go to school when they were just, this is elementary school, not college, Dan. Sorry. But I didn't share the amazing, amazing provision that God gave me, gave to all of us, to my family, in the midst of this, this test of faith. He gave us great friends who had experienced these same things, who could comfort us, who could encourage us. I remember even, even before, he gave us friends that prepared our hearts for this difficult test. I remember uh, Jim Wonder. Many of you know Jim Wonder. He shared with me. And I don't know if Jim made this up. Or, or if he uh, heard it from someone else. I'm giving Jim the credit. He said this. God. I didn't write this down. It's always a mistake for me. Christina. You remember? Gosh darn. If you take care of the things. That are dear to God's heart. God will take care of the things that are dear to your heart. And so that built up. And Jim had experience in this. Jim had taken his family to uh, Yugoslavia. His three little girls to Yugoslavia. And if you know Yugoslavia, you know it doesn't exist anymore because of wars and problems there. So he had taken his family. So I took that to heart. Gave us great friends God gave us the financial resources that we needed that, that we were able to visit our kids on many occasions. He gave us success in ministry there where we were that we might see that our sacrifice wasn't in vain. And most importantly, he gave us his presence. We experienced his comfort, his love. We experienced his joy. And in the midst of this test of our faith, So what about you? Are you experiencing a a test of faith? If so, are you experiencing Jehovah Jireh in the midst of your tests? If not, or if so, then today I believe Abraham has something to to say to us. Today we come to the end of our study of the God of Abraham. The end. 22 weeks in Abraham's life. And we... uh, end in chapter 22, so a chapter a week. No, because we started in chapter 12, so you do the math. And here we find our final passage. In our final passage, we see the climax of Abraham's journey of faith. Abraham lived a number of years after this, and he, and he had relationship with God, but this is really the climax of his journey of faith. Abraham is confronted with his ultimate test, and today we'll we'll see that that Within that test, God's provision comes. God's provision comes. Last week, we looked at the beginning of the test. If if you were here, this is a review. If you weren't, this new stuff, catch you up. We saw that it was God who tested Abraham. It was a test from the Lord. God had said that through Abraham's son Isaac, all of the promises, God had given Abraham some promises, and he said, through your son Isaac, these promises will be fulfilled. But then Abraham has this test from God. God says to Abraham, take your son. This is Genesis chapter 22, verse, 20, verse 2. If, you're, if you have your Bibles. So in your notes today, you have, I'm going to refer to a number of scriptures, and I've put those in your notes, except I didn't put the passage in Genesis chapter 22 in your notes. So if you have your Bibles open to Genesis 22, you don't have to flip around, because anything else you have in your notes. Thank you, Cliff. Okay, you're welcome. Uh, Genesis 22.2. Two. Take your son, God says, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. And how did Abraham respond to this test? We saw last week he responded in trust. Trust in the Lord. And that trust was seen how? How? That trust was seen in his obedience to the Lord. Remember last week, trust and obey. That's what Abraham did. So in verse 3, So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood of the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. So Abraham obeys. He ventures out. And then after a three-day journey, verse 4 says, When they saw the place from afar... Abraham and Isaac went on ahead. They left the servants and the donkeys, and they went on alone. At this point of the journey, Isaac becomes curious. And in verse 7, he asks his father, Where is the lamb for the burnt offering, Dad? And Abraham responds in faith, saying in verse 8, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. Abraham, in faith, trusted God, trusted that God would provide, so they went together, both of them. Where were they going? Where were these guys going? According to verse 2, they were going to a place on a mountain in the land of Moriah. But for Abraham, that was the place of obedience, and that's our, our first point for this morning, the place of obedience. Verse 9 says, at the beginning, when they came to the place of which God had told him, they came to the place that God had told him to go to. Abraham arrives in this place. In one respect, his journey to this place began three days, three to four days before, when God had told him to sacrifice his son. He said, go to this place. But in another respect, his journey had begun many, many years earlier. When God came to him in the, in the land of Ur, you remember? Genesis chapter 12, that's where we started. And God came to Abraham and said, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Again, to the land that I will show you. Stepping out in faith. From that point forward in Abraham's life, he began this journey of faith. And that journey involved many places. If you've been with us, As we've seen Abraham's life, he's been in many, many different places. Sometimes Abraham was in the place of disobedience. We saw that in Egypt and in gear when he lied and told Pharaoh and then Abimelech that Sarah was not his his wife, but his sister. Abraham, in, in those instances, was not trusting in the Lord to protect him. He felt his life was in danger because his wife was so dang hot that everybody... Can I say that? I did, sorry. It's not in my notes. If I say stuff not in my notes, I get in trouble. That's a problem. That's true. His wife was so beautiful that they would just kill him to take her. And so Abraham didn't trust in the Lord. He came up with his own strategies. He was in the place of disobedience. And even though Scripture doesn't give us the exact location, the place of Abraham's greatest disobedience was where he took Hagar as a a second wife, where he fathered Ishmael in an attempt to shortcut the promises of God. You'll remember the story. Abraham didn't trust the Lord to fulfill the Lord's promises. God had said, through your offspring, be a great nation, a great people. All the nations of the earth will be blessed. Well, I'm going to take care of that, Abraham, but, but Abraham takes a shortcut in this great place of disobedience. When Abraham was... Notice, when Abraham was in the place of disobedience, it was because he was not trusting in the Lord. Instead, he was trusting in his own plans, his own abilities, his own strategies, his own strengths to get him through. Listen, the place of disobedience is where you go when you don't trust in the Lord. The place of disobedience is where you go when you're not trusting in God. And I would encourage you, if you, if you find yourself in that place of disobedience, and we know where it is, we know where it is in our, in our own life, ask yourself, why am I not trusting in the Lord in this situation? What needs am I trying to meet? Instead of trusting that, that God can meet those, that God can provide for those. Why do I think I know better than the creator of the universe? Ask yourself that question. When you're in that place of disobedience, I know better. I'm trusting me instead of the one who made me. And when you realize the foolishness of your situation, repent. Call on the Lord, asking him, begging Him, pleading with Him to give you the faith to trust in Him. He'll answer that prayer, I promise. Ask Him, Lord, take me. Take me to the place of obedience. It's where I want to be in my my heart of hearts. On his journey of faith, Abraham had learned that the place of obedience is a far better place. And now when that, that ultimate test of faith comes when it would have been so natural to try and figure out a different plan, a different strategy, to go, to fall back, as Tom said, to his default settings, to find a way out of sacrificing his sons, when his mind and emotions were shouting for him to disobey, to turn and run. We read this in verse 9. Abraham built the altar there in the place of obedience and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham was was at the place God had told him, the place of obedience. He bound Isaac, his son, and and laid him on the altar on the top of the the wood. The wood was there because it was a burnt offering. He didn't get that It's because he's going to light it on fire. We should pause here and say something about Isaac. We haven't talked much about him. Scripture gives us no indication whatsoever that Isaac struggled in any way. As I mentioned last week, most scholars agree that Isaac was at least a, a young teenager, but many feel he was probably much older, maybe even into his 30s. In any case, he didn't he didn't have to submit willingly. He could have, we could have read a story of wrestling, Abraham and Isaac wrestling, like Jacob wrestled with the angel coming up. But there's no wrestling. Apparently, Abraham's faith had been instilled in his son, Isaac. And both Abraham and Isaac had come to this place of obedience together. That says something to us, doesn't it, as fathers, as parents? Are we instilling our, our faith in our children And so we read in verse 10 that Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. Abraham was in full, complete submission to the Lord. He trusted God above all his thoughts and all of his desires. He'd arrived at the place of obedience. What about you? What about about me? Have we arrived? Are we in the place of obedience Is our faith such that that we will obey God no matter how difficult a command he issues? Now, let me assure you that God will not ask you to sacrifice your children. This was a one-time deal, never to be repeated, and in fact, later to be forbidden by the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. Also, as we pointed out last week, God never intended for Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. It was a test. And so you might say, okay, I'm good. God won't ask me to do anything that, that difficult. I, I'm okay. I can, I can go to that place of obedience. But before you arrive, you need to count the cost. There's a cost involved going to this place of obedience. I just want to give you just briefly, just, just a few commands, a few samples. This is a, a highlight reel, if you might, of New Testament commands all taken from the gospels all spoken by jesus himself all describing this place of obedience that god through christ is calling you and i as followers of jesus christ to go to all indicating the cost involved maybe you've heard these maybe you haven't luke 9:23 jesus said If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. The place of obedience is a place where the the Lord goes and we must follow. It's a place of self-denial, a place where we take up the cross on a daily basis. And the cross was an instrument of death. It's where we die to ourselves on a daily basis. And put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ who we're following. John fifteen twelve, Jesus says, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. The place of obedience is a place of loving like Jesus loved. Loving sacrificially, giving yourself for the sake of others. This command is given in the context of the disciples. It's given in the context of the body of Christ. It's loving the people around you now like Jesus loves. That can be costly. Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. Jesus said, Go, therefore, again, to his disciples and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The place of obedience is a place of evangelism. It's a place of outreach, a place of making disciples, a place of equipping world changers. It's a place where the gospel of Jesus Christ is taken to the nations. Matthew four, um, excuse me, five forty two. Jesus said, "Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you." Wow, Jesus said that. Think about that. The place of obedience is a place where you care for the the needs of the poor. A place where we give sacrificially of the resources that God has given us. We give to others. And finally, Mark 12.30. You might not know this, but this is the hardest command in all of Scripture I'm about to give to you. You might think it's loving your enemies, but here, here it is. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. Take that and meditate on that for uh, five years or longer. The place of obedience is a place where your entire being, your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength are given over in love to God. The place of obedience is where everything you do, everything you say, comes from the, the love you have For God. Side note. I'm not there. I don't think any of us are. The place of obedience is often a journey. Are you on the journey to that place? Is that where you want to be? Do you want to go to the place where you love God with everything? With everything you have? Now, these are just a few examples of what this place of obedience looks like. It's not an easy place. It's not an easy journey. And getting there, as Abraham knew, as we've seen in his life, especially today, involves sacrifice. It involves self-denial. It involves doing things you don't want to do. There's a cost to our faith. So are you prepared to journey to the place of obedience? To answer God's call on your life. To be his representative in this world. To hide. Not to hide in your neighborhood. Not to hide in your job. But to be his representative in this world. To give him your relationships. Your job, your family, your friends, your finances. To give him everything he asks of you. Which is everything, by the way. That's what it means... To be on that journey to that place of obedience. It's a hard and difficult place. A place that includes tests. A place that includes trials. A place that includes pain and suffering. Anybody want to go? After those advertisements, let's put up billboards. Anybody into pain and suffering and trials? Follow Jesus. You don't see those much. We won't talk about that much in church. And I don't want to say there isn't another side to it, because there is. And that side outweighs everything I just said. And so let's go there. Everything I just said is true, but there's more. We can't forget that this place of obedience is hard and difficult, but it's also a place of great reward, of great eternal lasting forever reward for those of us who've gone to that place who are going to that place who've obeyed even when it's difficult even when it's hard even when our mind and emotions are in total rebellion against the commands of God we know that it's the best place for us to be and Jesus makes it clear we know it by experience if you've experienced it if you've gone to that place Maybe if you haven't, these words of Jesus will encourage you. He says this in in John chapter 15, verses 10 and 11. If you keep my commandments, you're in that place of obedience. You will abide in my love just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you that, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. If you keep the Lord's commandments... If you remain, if you're on the journey to, if you desire that place of obedience, then you will abide, you will remain, you will stay in his love. And your joy will be made full. And if you've done it, you know it. You've experienced it. You'll experience the joy of unbroken fellowship, with Jesus Christ. You'll experience the joy, the pleasure of God in your life. God being pleased with you. No greater words will ever be spoken for us, I believe, And when God says, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into my rest. That, that I'm longing to hear those words. You'll experience the joy of the Lord and it will be your strength to remain in the place of obedience. And as we remain in this place of obedience, then as, as Abraham will demonstrate, maybe some of us have experienced, we'll experience the provision of the Lord. In the place of obedience, you will experience the provision of the Lord. That's our second point, the provision of the Lord. We now come to verse 11. Remember, at this point in the story, verse 10, Abraham had raised his knife. His knife is over the head, over the heart of his son. And in faith, he's he's ready to plunge that knife into the flesh of his beloved son Isaac. This This is high drama. This is big. If it were a movie, our hearts would be beating and pounding, we didn't know the end of the story already. What will happen? How will or will God provide? What's, what's going to happen here? Verse 11 But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. Or here am I. You know, this is, this is more than an angel, a messenger from the Lord. This is the Lord Himself, as scripture makes as as the scripture makes clear, and and many believe it's the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. The Lord, the second person of the Trinity, who comes to Abraham, who stays Abraham's hand. In verse 12, he continues on. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Abraham, don't, don't sacrifice your son. You've passed the test. I know you fear. You respect. You have awesome respect for God. He's the most important thing in your life. How do I know this? Because you've not withheld from me the most important gift I've given you. You haven't withheld from me the most important thing in your life, your son. Abraham demonstrated that there was nothing He would not give to the Lord. He would hold nothing back. This is another way of saying that Abraham was in the place of obedience. He would obey the Lord. He'd give the Lord anything he asked. And because uh, he was in that place of obedience, he would experience the provision of the Lord. We need to understand that the Lord wants to, desires, loves to provide for his children. He's, by the way, Jehovah Jireh, our provider. But the provision comes, you've got to remember this, when we surrender all to Him, when we hold nothing back. If we hold back from the Lord, then provision is limited, if not completely forestalled. We have no guarantee of any kind of provision if we're holding back from the Lord. One of the most heartbreaking illustrations of this is found in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. It breaks my heart every time I read it. A man came to Jesus and, and asked him what he must do to inherit eternal life. He wanted eternal life. He knew it was important. And Jesus asked him about keeping the commandments, and he said he had kept them. And then we read in Mark chapter 10, verse 21, and Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus loved this guy. It wasn't just any guy. It was a guy that Jesus looked at and loved. And then then Jesus says this and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Jesus loved him and Jesus gave him the opportunity to follow him. You know, if you remember in the gospels, there are times when Jesus healed people and they wanted to follow him. He said, no, you can't follow me. Jesus says to this guy, follow me. I believe he's given this guy an opportunity to be one of the disciples. Maybe there would have been 13, I don't know. Jesus offered him the greatest provision known to man, a personal, intimate relationship with God. But to enter into that provision, the young man needed to surrender everything to Christ. Some have said that the point of this passage is to teach us that we have to sell everything Give to the poor if we want to follow Jesus. Might not be a bad idea, but that's not what the passage is telling us. The point is, for this man, Jesus knew he was withholding from him his, his riches from the Lord. So that's what Jesus asked for. Because following Jesus doesn't mean selling everything and giving to the poor. It means giving everything to Jesus, however he asked for it. Everything, holding nothing back. And verse 22 gives the sad conclusion to this heartbreaking story. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. He had great possessions. you have great possessions? Are they your possessions? Are they God's possessions? This man gave up a relationship with the eternal living God, the creator of all things, because he wanted to hold on to some stuff. Some created stuff. He didn't receive the provision of the Lord because he was holding back from the Lord. So the question comes to you and I what are we holding back from the Lord? What in our lives are we unwilling to give over to Jesus Christ? Is it stuff? Is it money? Is it savings? Is it possessions? Is it things? Is it a relationship? Is it a sinful practice that you're holding on to? No matter what it is, until you release it to the Lord, until you stop holding things back from Him, you'll never, underline never, experience God's provision for your life. I'm not saying that God will give up on you. I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit will stop Holy Spirit will stop working in your life. But I am saying that if you hold back from the Lord, you cannot enter in to the best He has for your life. There can't be. There can't be any real fellowship with Him. There can be no joy in the Lord, and therefore no strength from the Lord. God will not say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. We know this to be true. I know this to be true. When I hold back from the Lord, I'm saying, I don't trust you, Jesus. I don't want you in this area of my life. I don't want to give you this thing, this person. And Jesus, who's always a gentleman, never forces the issue. Never forces himself upon us. Remember Revelation 3.20, he stands at the door and he knocks. He's waiting for you to invite him in, into those places. That you've withheld from him. He will not provide that which we do not want. He doesn't uh, commit breaking and entering. You know? you got to open the door. Come in. Sweep that, that room clean, Lord. I give it over to you. So we can't hold back from the Lord and expect him to provide for us. You got that? You can't yell at God and say, well, God, why didn't you do this for me? And over here, you're holding back. You're going your own way. You're not trusting him. You haven't given him everything. We can't hold on to some some sin in our lives and expect God to answer our prayers. We can't refuse to give him one area of our life and expect, expect the blessings to rain down in other areas of our lives. God doesn't work that way. God is called Lord for a reason. He's in charge. He's in control. It's not a a 50-50 proposition. It's all or nothing with Jesus Christ. But for those who give him their all, who hold nothing back, the Lord will provide everything. I'm sorry, Grandma Rickard. Is that your grandma's last name? Okay, whatever. I can't hear what you're saying. He will give you everything you desire. I said desire. How can I say that? Because the Bible says that. It's not in your notes, but, but jot down Psalm 37.4. Delight yourself in the Lord. And I'm sure Grandma Rickard knew this, by the way. I'm not. Because we say that, don't we? God will provide your needs, but not your wants, not your desires. And, and that is totally true. In one respect. But in another respect, and we'll talk about that respect. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. He will provide for you your desires. Yes, God will provide your desires for you. But you have to delight in him. There's a prerequisite to getting your desires. You have to delight in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. He he must be your joy. He must be your treasure. He must be the most important thing in your life. Your life must be preoccupied with the Lord, with his purposes, holding nothing back from him. Side note, if that's the case, if you're doing that, then God gives you new desires. God gives you your desires. Your desires become his desires. Abraham held nothing back. We read in verse 13, And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. God stayed Abraham's hand. No. And now he provides him with the sacrifice. Instead of sacrificing his son, God provides a substitute, which Abraham sacrifices to the Lord. And in verse 14 we read, So Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. And it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Side note, we'll get to this in a minute. This mount is right in the same area that Jesus was crucified. On the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. It's right near the area of Jerusalem. Earlier, Abraham had told Isaac, the Lord would provide a sacrifice. Now, in this place of obedience, the Lord does provide. And Abraham names the place, the Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh. God provides when we are in this place of obedience. And he continues to provide for Abraham by reiterating his promises. Verses 15 through 18, the Lord restates the promises given to Abraham. And when, when, when he began this journey of faith, remember back to Genesis chapter 12, and along the way, Abraham had been given promises, and the promises would be restated, and God restates them. God, in these verses, swears by himself, for there's nothing higher that God can swear by than himself. He says that because, Abraham, you've proven your faith, these promises, guaranteed stamp, will be fulfilled. Genesis chapter 20, verse 18 restates the final promise. That promise that we've become, I hope, very familiar with over the past several weeks and months. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. We've said all along in our study of the life of Abraham and the God of Abraham that this promise refers to the coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the seed of Abraham. And his blessing refers to his sacrificial death for the sins of humanity. That through Christ, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. That promise, it reaches from Abraham through Christ out to all who trust in Jesus. Now, now as we conclude this morning, as we prepare our hearts for communion, so appropriate that we're doing communion this morning, I want to look quickly at this story of Abraham and Isaac one more time. For in this story, we find a picture of Jesus Christ. We find a picture of how Christ, the seed of Abraham, becomes a blessing to all the nations of the earth. We find the picture of, of true sacrifice is our third, final point. Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 39, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. It is they that bear witness about me, Jesus says. What Scriptures is Jesus talking about? He's talking about the Old Testament Scriptures. The Old Testament Scriptures bear witness of Jesus Christ. In, in many ways, the Old Testament Scriptures are a picture of what God would accomplish through Christ. So as we looked at Genesis chapter 22, as we looked at Abraham, the father, and his faith being put to the test, as we saw his trust in the Lord, his willingness to go to that place of obedience, his willingness to sacrifice his son Isaac, and as we saw God provide a ram for that sacrifice, in this story we have a picture, we have a a foreshadowing, a looking forward from Abraham's perspective of what's to come. For us, it's already taken place. We're looking back. We're remembering this morning what this story pictures for us. Specifically, we have a picture of the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. Let me quickly give five ways that this story pictures and points to, foreshadows the sacrifice of Christ. There are others. I, I, the, the place. Just the fact that it's in the, in the, in the same vicinity. Where Christ was crucified. Abraham, Isaac is, is offered up. I mentioned it. But it's, it's not one of the five. There are others. I'm, I'm just going to mention five. First in verse 6. Notice Abraham took the wood from the burnt offering. And laid it on Isaac. Isaac carried the wood. That would be used in his own sacrifice. Sacrifice. And if you're familiar with the story of Christ and his journey to the cross, we know that Jesus was made to carry his wooden cross to his crucifixion. The Apostle John gives us that detail. So he delivered, so Pilate, that's he, Pilate, delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross. Both Isaac and Jesus carried the wood for their own sacrifice. Isaac's foreshadowing. Christ. Second, in verse 8, Abraham says that God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. God will provide for himself. This This is in many ways prophetic in nature. God would one day in Christ provide that ultimate lamb of God. John the Baptist recognized this. When he saw Jesus, he said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So second, Abraham said, God will provide the lamb, and Jesus would become that lamb that God provided. Third, in verse 9, when Abraham bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar, there, there's no word of protest, we pointed this out. There's no word of resistance from Isaac. There's no word from Isaac. We think of, of Jesus, who said nothing before his accusers. Isaiah's prophecy of the coming Savior makes this clear. He was oppressed and he was afflicted yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that was led to the slaughter and like a sheep that was before his shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. So third, both Isaac and Jesus didn't resist being sacrificed. Fourth, in verse 10, when when Abraham, the father, reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son, in the same way, it was God the father's will that his son be sacrificed. Jesus was tried and convicted by the Jews. He was turned over and crucified by the Romans. And he died for the sins of all humanity. In many ways, it was you and I, or you and me, who crucified Jesus. But it was ultimately God the Father who was behind all of these events. Listen again to the prophet Isaiah who makes it so clear. Isaiah chapter 53, speaking again of the coming Messiah, says, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He, was, he has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. It was God's will. His plan that Jesus be sacrificed for the sins of humanity, so forth. Abraham's willingness to sacrifice Isaac pictures the father's willingness to sacrifice Jesus. Fifth and finally in verse 13, when when Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son, when Abraham takes this substitute ram provided by God and offers it up sacrificially in the place of Isaac, we see a, a foreshadowing. This is the heart of the matter, by the way. We see a foreshadowing of the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. It was you, it was me, who deserved death for our sins. Like the ram was for Isaac, Jesus is for you and for me, a sacrificial substitute. Jesus' sacrifice saves us from paying the penalty we so rightly deserve. Peter says in 1 Peter 2.4, He Himself bore our sins in His own body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. Christ died for us. Christ provides righteousness and healing for us. So fifth, the ram that was substituted for Isaac pictures Jesus Christ who substituted for you and me. God provided the ram as a sacrificial substitute for Isaac. And he provides Jesus as a sacrificial substitute for all who trust in him, for all who receive him. So it asks the question, have you received the provision of the Lord? Have you received Jesus Christ as your substitute? How do you do that? Someone say you just say a prayer. Not so. I think you can say a prayer. But it's not the words of a prayer that are that are key. How do you do that? Well, as Abraham teaches us, hope we got this. It's a matter of surrender. God's provision comes to those who hold nothing back from him. God's provision comes to those who give their lives completely. To Jesus Christ. So I'd ask you, have you given your life completely to the Lord Jesus Christ? If so, then you will, guaranteed, God swears by nothing higher than Himself, receive the provision of the Lord. You will receive Jesus Christ as your substitute. He'll die in your place. He died in your place. You just need to receive that as your substitute, and you receive that by surrendering everything to Him. But if not, if you've not given yourself completely to Christ, if you're holding back, then there is no provision. There's no substitute. You have to die for your own sins. You have to pay for them for all of eternity. So I'd encourage you this morning to, to, to make that total Nothing held back commitment to Jesus Christ. Receive him as your Savior and your Lord. And if you do that make that commitment, and I'm going to pray in a minute and maybe help you and start that off, but it's really a, a commitment between you and the Lord. I would encourage you to share that with, with someone. Share it with me. Share it with someone who brought you. Share it with one of the leaders here at the church. Share it that we might come alongside you and help you grow in your faith, grow in your trust for the Lord. That when the tests of faith come, and they will come, that you might, like Abraham, respond with trust, go into that place of obedience. Like I said, I'm going to pray, and Philip is going to come and lead us in communion. As we remember the sacrificial substitutionary death of Christ, pictured by this ram caught in a thicket. As we partake of communion together, remember that God is Jehovah Jireh. He is our provider, and He has provided the most amazing thing ever in Jesus Christ. He's provided Christ everything we need. Everything we need, we need for an eternal relationship of love and joy with our Heavenly Father. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much for Jesus and and for this picture that provides so much uh, emotional power to the fact that that a father was willing to sacrifice his son and you were willing to sacrifice your son. Abraham was willing and, and you stopped him. You were willing. and You didn't stop yourself. You went through with it. You sacrificed your son for us, Father. And I pray, I pray for those here who know you, who've given themselves completely over to you as Lord and Savior. I pray that we would continue on that journey, that place of obedience, Lord. And if there are those here that have not yet given themselves completely, I pray for them. I pray that you would... Touch them in their spirit, and they would know that. Lord, I haven't given myself completely, but today, this day, I do. I turn myself completely over to you. I ask for the power of your Holy Spirit to walk in this in newness of life, and I and I receive the provision of Jesus Christ for the payment of my sins. That He is my substitute. Thank you, Father, that because of Jesus we can look forward to your provision of eternal life in your presence. In your Son's name we